welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hello, this is Anthony Diana, a partner in Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group, and welcome to Tech Law Talks and our podcast series for private equity firms on how private equity firms can maximize the value of their portfolio companies through effective management of technology and data risks of their portfolio companies. So today we are joined by Gary Barnabo from Cross Country Consulting, Catherine Castaldo, a partner in the Tech and Data Group at Reed Smith, and Sheik Shah, a senior associate in the Tech and Data Group at Reed Smith. Today, we're going to focus on another way private equity firms can sort of manage uh, tech and data risks at the portfolio company level. And this is really just through policies, right? It's sort of a basic foundational thing when you're managing any type of risk is having good policies. So we're going to focus on this today. So why don't we start? I'll start with Catherine. Why are policies important in managing tech and data risks just generally? Sure. Well, they, they, they provide a, a playbook for how to do things, and it provides the company standard for how tech and data risks are going to be managed. Policies and processes should always go towards risk mitigation. They identify an area that needs to be controlled. They uh, talk about what that control is and how they're going to test it in the future to make sure that the control is, is effective. So as a general matter, that's, that's why companies need policies. We find that a lot of portfolio companies, the smaller ones particularly, don't have uh, a policy suite, because as we've said in previous recordings, sometimes people are wearing many hats and they don't have a full, you know, they don't have an in-house legal team or they don't have, you know, more than one person doing any particular job. So they haven't yet matured to the level of having policies. But when we do our diligence uh, on behalf of our clients who are acquiring some of these companies, um, that's one of the first things we look for. We look for both the public facing policies, which would include like a privacy policy in terms of use, because those dictate how data is taken into the company, especially personal information, and how it's also secured and managed while it's transiting and how it can be handled as it's exiting um, and what options the uh, inputter may have. And every company that operates you know, on the web needs to have a privacy policy under pick any number of laws at this point. Um, so those are things we look for. And then we look to internal policies. And then relatedly, we look towards, con- we, we also review their contracts to ensure that the, the types of security that match the risk level of the data that's being moved are incorporated into those contracts. Yeah, and I know, I know, Kat, you've had a few instances where, because the valuation was so tied to, like, for example, customer data, the deal got squashed because when you reviewed the policies, you're like, you don't have the right to transfer the customer data. So the value of the whole entire deal was done. So um, it definitely has like real world impact in terms of valuation, right? In terms of if you want to sell it, you have to have these. Gary, in terms of what you've seen, and I know you deal a lot with sort of at that the smaller company level, and I think as Kat said, this is this is an area where they're often lacking. What could you ex- share your experience in terms of what companies the size of portfolio companies often have in place, and what you've seen uh, just generally? Well, like as Kat said, they often have not much or or nothing at all, and. On some level, that's okay. You'd rather see these companies focused on, hey, I'm going to grow my business. And even from a cybersecurity, the world I live in perspective, kind of really buying down technical risk on networks and systems versus writing a lot of documents. But at some point, and this is exactly what Kat said, you've got to kind of do the unglamorous work 
of developing policies and procedures, policy standards and guidelines. It shows a seriousness about governance and about risk management. Maybe it's, it's less fun than buying a new cybersecurity tool and installing it on your networks. But without that seriousness around how are we going to govern ourselves, how are we going to manage risk at, again, that policy level, a lot of those technology purchases end up having uh, being much less effective than you expect them to be, right? We say in a lot of ways policy and process needs to drive technology and security. Uh, and I think a lot of companies just kind of j- jump toward what's the latest shiny thing I can go buy that, that that's going to cure all my ills rather than rolling up their sleeves uh, and writing those policies. Yeah. And, and, and Sheik, obviously, you've done a lot of policies and draft a lot of policies for all different sizes of companies. Um, could you just give a, just a flavor of like what are the steps in sort of developing some of these policies? Sure. I, I think in many ways, uh, policies are driven by two factors, right? Policies can be driven by um, a need for compliance with relevant data protection law or security law. And then in some ways, policies driven just by sheer need for healthy security hygiene, privacy hygiene, corporate governance. So, you know, one way we attack how to build out the appropriate policy is by, you know, understanding what the company's overall data collection and data processing practices are. What sort of data does the company have? What are they dealing with? Um, That comes up in the form of uh, what we call data mapping. So understanding what data the the port code is ingesting, how they're sharing it, how they're utilizing it. Once we have an understanding of that, understanding of where the data is and what the data is, it, it allows us to better drive what policies need to be in place to start to govern the use of that data and the, the dissemination of that data. Yeah. And it seems like to me, if you're an investor, like a, a private equity owns these portfolio companies, you should know what is the data that this company has, right? What are they processing, whatever? Even if you're not involved in the policies, that's you would assume that they would at least know what the risks are associated with it. And like as we talked about, like if they're consumer oriented and they're collecting a lot of consumer information, like everybody's employee information, are they global, not global? All of that is going to impact sort of the risks and, and probably, probably the extent of how much policy you have. Is that fair characterization? Yeah. And, and, and a port co should want to know what data they have because their data is a very valuable asset to their business. Yeah. So, you know, knowing what data they have is not only value to them, but it's also a risk because if you don't understand what all of your data is, you don't know what's happening with all of that data. You don't know where it's being shared. You don't know how it could potentially be lost. So it's it's very valuable to get that comprehensive understanding of what data is being ingested and, and how it's being used. Yeah. And, I, and I know, Gary, um, we, we have talked about, you know, you have a playbook which includes policies, like template policies, whatever. And I don't want to say that you should ever use template policies because I think, as Sheik said, you have to you have to make them realistic for your company. But th- there is a starting point, right? It's not like they have to sit there and say, okay, where do I start? I mean, that's one of the advantages, I think, particularly of a private equity firm can say, here's the templates, guys. Like, do it. And there's it wouldn't be that, I don't want to say, it's not that costly to get your policies up and running. As she said, you have to probably do some data mapping first, but this is not a huge undertaking, but it has probably a lot of ROI in that sense. Couldn't agree more. I, th- I think you said it really well. And the, the piece that I'll kind of double click on is 
what this should look like at the private equity level. And I do see tremendous amount of value in PE firms spending just a little bit of time issuing out those kind of minimum standards to port codes, issuing out, hey, here's a template or a table of contents you can use. Because a little bit of standardization, uniformity, ability to compare across the portfolio is one going to just be, it's going to make the, the, the PE firm's life easier over time. It's also a way to show your LPs as you're going out and raising money, hey, we've got a way of doing this, right? That gives an 80% kind of risk reduction across a portfolio. We've done this before in other funds. So as we raise capital for this new fund, right, we know how we're going to preserve the value of that by managing our tech and data risks. And there's a policy component to this. So again, m- most PE firms are focused on how do we control costs? How do we raise money? How do we grow these businesses? How do we exit? But part of that is protecting the value of the investment, doing that efficiently with some kind of repeatable ways to develop policies and manage these tech and data risks more broadly. That, that makes sense. And the, then, the repeatable ability to, to create that value also comes in. I mean, I hate to be the cop in this conversation, but there are laws that say you have to have certain policies. And they there are some of them that go down to the one employee level. If you have one employee, you have to have a policy that says something. So if you were a startup of any size, you're supposed to have some of these. And the problem that we see sometimes is that when regulators are, are looking into a particular entity because of a security incident, as we've talked about in other podcasts, um, they may expand their view into other uh, related entities and ask them questions about how they're managing data, particularly when they have shared systems or shared resources, like they're relying on some of the uh, private equity for legal advice and things like that. So it just, it benefits everyone. And, you know, there's the law. <laughs> A little thing like the law. You don't want your company to be against. Yeah, absolutely. No violations of law. So the other thing, this is near and dear to my heart, which is really talking about, we've talked about data risk, privacy policies and the like, and security policies, which are obviously important. Another area, which is you should really know where your data is and what you're doing with it and deleting it, right? Because I think one of the big risks that we see all the time, and this is a big part of my practice, is people have legacy systems sitting around, which are just pure risk maybe costing something. And it's all because they don't have a way of like knowing where their records are, deleting stuff in the normal course and the like. It's really good personal hygiene, I guess, for data. So Sheik, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because again, Catherine, to your point, some of it may actually be legally required depending on your industry. Yeah, I I think that's exactly right. I mean, you have to look at it uh, twofold. One, from the compliance perspective, right? There are legal requirements around how long you're allowed to retain data, when you're supposed to dispose of data. Um, You know, uh, most modern data protection laws say you aren't allowed to retain data for longer than necessary uh, to, you know, fulfill the purpose that you disclose to the individual that you collected it from. Um, So in order to make sure that you're meeting those compliance obligations, you have to know where that data is, and then you have to have policies, schedules around how you dispose of that data in a timely fashion. The other piece of it is also just the overall risk. Uh, If you have stagnant data sitting around, the more data you have, yes, there is a value add. But on the flip side, the more data that you have sitting around, the more likely it is that that data ultimately becomes subject to some sort of data incident or some sort of exposure that you don't want. And that ends up being much more costly than maybe the de minimis value that's added of having age stagnant data sitting around. Uh, So making sure you have proper, as you said, Anthony, you know, hygiene around your data retention practices uh, is really 
paramount to making sure you have the good foundation in place. Yeah. And Kat, I think regulators in particular, we've seen that in some of the data breaches where they, they've increased the fines because they're like, you shouldn't have had this data to begin with, right? It's the data yeah. breach is bad enough. But in terms of, and this sort of a point that Gary brings a lot, from a reputational standpoint, it looks really bad. If you've got like customer data going back 10 years, you shouldn't have had it. And that's part of the data breach because again, it just shows, frankly, mismanagement. Yeah, it also, I mean, it's it's really awkward to be notified. I had an incident one time where I had to notify people whose data was 25 years old. And um, from the system that first you know, evolved essentially 25 years ago. And they're, they're, the overwhelming question was, why was this still on your system from both the regulator and the individuals who were impacted? So it, it's a huge reputational hit um, because it just, it's it's almost like, you know, housekeeping on your own. You, you, we all save things we think we might use, but they, they have a very, as she said, limited utility after a period of time. And we've actually had some recent studies too that are very interesting about the utility of data that's even only a year old for companies like to, to use it um, in any effective manner. I know that when we all started in this practice area, you know, uh, data lakes and, and saving everything you have because there might be a value to it in the future was a common thought. And then, you know, the weight of the data essentially on the risk of the company and, and the, the risk to uh, incidents as well as just managing all of that data became, it became less practical to do anything like that. And then we've learned now that, a lot of that data just doesn't have any value um, out over time. So certainly core processes and core, you know, crown jewels of the company, those can be, you know, super important and, and worthy of retaining. But a lot of data is just dirt. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, and Gary, I know you guys probably do a lot of that sort of, we'll call it data maps. It sometimes has a bad work for it, but just basically an assessment of what data these, these people have. What's, what's the high risk data? I think you guys do that quite a bit. Um, and I think, you know, I think it was, you mentioned, it's probably something that the private equity firm should know, right? Well, how they manage the data, but also where's the risk? Is there sitting, is there stuff sitting there for 25 years and the like in terms of prioritization? Yeah, hundred percent. Look, we wouldn't expect the private equity firm to, to know kind of the, the detailed data map, right? Of every portfolio company, but there should be that view of a port code should be able to go to the, the, the PE sponsor and say, Hey, yeah, these are our five crown jewels. This is the stuff. This is the data that if it is compromised, could bring our business to its knees. And that's where we would then say somebody at the PE level needs to be across that, understanding how the port codes are, are managing the risk there. And then the other thing I'd say is we see we see it's this is not just a data problem. It is an application problem. It's a legacy technology problem. She put it really well, that kind of risk surface or attack surface, right? The more that's there that bad guys can go against, uh, the greater the risk. And, and again, it's legacy applications, internal, external that haven't been used. It's, it's things even on the public internet that you don't know are still there that present all sorts of interesting gateways for creative bad guys. Yeah, that is something we've seen quite a bit, right? It's the, in these data breaches, it's the legacy systems that no one cares about. They don't do the patchwork and they're the ones that are most vulnerable. And again, it's sort of, it's the, the worst cycle in the world. It's the old data that you shouldn't have anyway. That's the stuff that's the most vulnerable. It gets the breach and then you get double fine or whatever. So um, definitely. Absolutely. Mind. But again, I think this goes back to the main point and I'll ask for final thoughts on this, but it really is, as you sort of said, Gary, like you should be, the private equity firms, the investors should be having these conversations with their port codes just to understand what the risks are. Um, and again, I think policy is often the easiest way to realize that the port codes don't know 
enough because they haven't done the data map. They don't have the policies. And that's sort of often, I want to say a red flag, but I think, Kat, this is sort of what we talk about. It's It should be a red flag because when you're doing an M&A review and saying, okay, should we buy this company and looking at it, the fact that they don't have policies is really reflective of they probably have something out there, some risk out there that you don't know about that you need to understand, right? I think that's the basic problem oftentimes of not having these policies, other than they're probably in violation of the law, which is obviously another issue that you have to think about. I mean, when we give advice in this area too, I think it's important to note, we're not trying to comply anybody out of business. We're not trying to over-engineer their stuff. We're just trying to meet the minimum standards so that if anybody asks a question or their insurance company would like to know, you know, how they're managing their data, they have an easy answer because you can always pull out your policies and say, this is how we do it. It's right here. We've written it out. We've thought about it and, and, and we're doing it. It's also good in future litigation, as you well know, Anthony, you know, if, if you have a regular systematic approach to getting rid of data as you're supposed to, then it's a lot easier to answer things like discovery requests, because you can always say the data cuts off at this point, and I don't have to search any further than that. No, absolutely. Gary, any final thoughts? Just the idea of visibility. So much of this comes after the first principle is you got to get visibility over your data, over your tech stack, over your application. Until you have that visibility manifested in a data map or technology architecture and inventory or applications and what users can access them, everything else has got to follow that. Um, if, you, if you don't have visibility, it's really hard to have the right policies. It's really hard to make the right technical investment decisions. Um, and chances are an adversary is going to find something you don't have visibility over. As you said, and that's going to be the gateway to a very damaging data breach. Yeah. And Sheik, any final thoughts before we end? Yeah, just, you know, ditto to everything Kat said. These policies are your mechanism to give somebody insight externally into what you're doing with data internally. So it shows your healthy privacy and security hygiene, you know, whether that's a result of litigation or a transaction or whatever it may be, because due diligence can only go so far. So this this is an opportunity to show uh, externally all the things that you're doing to protect data and maintain proper security uh, functions. Final thought, too, which would be that the private equity firms in particular should be interested in that um, because that's the value of the company. So that it really is a red flag. We present it all the time as a red flag that they don't have any policies or their policies are in, you know incomplete or not effective because you can tell that they're just uh, stagnant policies. But um, so that it's a real it's a real concern that that should be uh, looked into. Yeah, I think I was just involved in a M&A transaction with you and uh, you can where they had a policy from like 2016 or something, which was obviously not great. Anyway, so enough about that. So thanks, everybody. This is really helpful. Hopefully it's helpful to the people out there listening. So thanks everybody for joining. And again, this is the series. We'll probably do more. If you have any thoughts on other topics you want us to cover, let us know. We're more than happy to cover those topics. Talk to you later. Bye. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and ReadSmith.com. And our social media accounts at ReadSmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. 
Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.